I'm Bill Moyers. It's good to have your ear. Climate is not just an environmental issue. This is a civilizational issue. This is the biggest case that courts will get in terms of the potential harm in front of them, the population affected by that harm, and in terms of the urgency. Climate is mind-blowing. It can't be categorized any longer as an environmental issue. The law has never dealt with an issue that carries so much grave harm, the, the impairment of survival later in the century, and with such mind-blowing tipping points and therefore urgency. Thanks for joining us. This is our final broadcast, but you haven't seen the last of us. We'll continue to report and comment at our website, BillMoyers.com. I hope you'll join me there for a web chat later this month. We end our broadcast series on an encouraging word from the emerging generation. Remember Kelsey Juliana from Eugene, Oregon? She's 18 years old and co-plaintiff in a lawsuit spearheaded by the organization Our Children's Trust, which claims that Oregon is not doing all it can to slow down global warming and protect the future. It's one of several such suits around the country based on the doctrine of public trust, which goes back to ancient Rome. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. Public trust um, states that the government is a trustee to protect these natural resources, air, water, um, land, you know, to protect them for this generation and for many generations down the line. The law professor who has developed this theory in its more modern uh, garb, mm-hmm. Mary Christina Wood, says it's because the government agencies that are supposed to protect our natural resources have been captured by corporate raiders and lobbyists, that these agencies treat these industries as their clients instead of the public. Do you think that's right? Unfortunately, we, you know, do have a lot of corruption, a lot of money, a lot of greed that influences most of um, our governmental decisions. So I do think that's, that's right. And that's why we're, you know, going to the courts to hold um, the legislator accountable. Further hearings in the Oregon case are expected in a couple of months. The idea, which has come to be called atmospheric trust litigation, is catching on, thanks to this very influential book, Nature's Trust, by the aforementioned legal scholar Mary Christina Wood. She teaches law at the University of Oregon and founded the Environmental and Natural Resources Law Program there. Mary Christina Wood, welcome. Thank you. Let's talk about some of those cases that have been filed by our Children's Trust. Exactly what is the purpose of those particular suits? What do they want? Every suit and every administrative petition uh, filed in every state in the country and against the federal government asks for the same relief. And that is for the government, whether it's the state of Tennessee or the state of Oregon or the federal government, to bring down carbon emissions in compliance with what scientists say is necessary to avert catastrophic climate change. And so the remedy in the suits pending is for the courts to order a plan, simply order the legislatures and the agencies to do their job in figuring out how to lower carbon emissions. So the courts would not actually figure out how to do that. That's the other branch's job, 
It's just that they're not doing it, and they probably won't without pressure before we pass crucial tipping points. A plaintiff in one of the early suits, 16 years old at the time, sued the federal government, quote, for making decisions that threaten our right to a safe and healthy planet. Now, where does it say anywhere in law that the government serves as the trustee of the atmosphere and that it's violating uh, its most compelling duties by failing, in the words of this young man, to protect the atmosphere from climate change? Where do you find that? (laughs) You find that in case law going back to the beginning years of this country. Uh, The Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, has announced the public trust doctrine in multiple cases over the years. And again, it's in every state jurisprudence as well. Um, And so this is not statutory law. I think people are so accustomed to our statutory system, they always say, as you just did, where can we find it written down in a statute? Well, this is actually the foundation of all laws. Professor Gerald Torres has a wonderful quote in his writing saying, this is the slate upon which all constitutions and laws are written. And that is the approach most courts in this country and other countries take in describing the public trust. It's clear that you consider the courts the alternative to the streets. No, I would never say the two are mutually exclusive. Um, The court is just one. It's an important branch of government. It's the third branch of government. It's crucial to our checks and balances. And so, of course, you would think that the courts have a role to play. But street democracy is so powerful. I don't know of any major movement that has succeeded without street democracy. When hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets, as they did in New York City, exercise their constitutional rights of free assembly, and then when you see also almost 100,000 people signing up and pledging to risk arrest if Keystone, the Keystone pipeline that would transport tar sands um, from Canada, those people are pledging to risk arrest if Obama or Congress approves the Keystone pipeline. When you see this kind of uprising, that only reinforces the more formal um, legal approaches that are put forth in atmospheric trust litigation. The two go very much hand in hand because what is very important for judges is to sense the moral authority of the people. Judges have a finger on the pulse of the American people in a way that I think we don't really understand that well. Judges can, if they sense the need, move very rapidly and order swift injunctions to force the legislatures or agencies or both to create a carbon reduction plan. And as that awareness becomes more acute, as demonstrated in the streets, courts, I believe, will become more receptive to coming in and ordering the legislatures to do their job. What has happened to all those great laws passed in the 1970s? I mean, I was around for the, for the first Earth Day in 1970, and then there came all of those promising laws out of Congress, which even President Nixon uh, supported. There was so much optimism, so much promise. It's a huge disappointment. There was a lot of promise. The Americans thought they had solved the problem by getting these laws passed. What they didn't realize 
was that industries got inside the agencies through various means, through campaign contributions, through pressure on the system over and over again. And so one thing we have to keep in mind is we're nearing the end of our resources. And there are laws of nature that we have to comply with. And those laws are supreme. And they determine whether we will survive on this planet. And they will determine the future conditions for our children. And so right now, our environmental laws are out of whack with the laws of nature. They are allowing destruction, whereas they should be structuring society to create a balance with the natural systems that support our lives. This paragraph leaped out at me. I'm quoting directly. It matters little what new laws emerge, for they will develop the same bureaucratic sinkholes that consumed the 1970 laws. Only a transformational approach can address sources of legal decay. What's the heart of this transformational approach? Well, the heart of the approach is the public trust doctrine. Um, And it says the government is a trustee of the resources that support our public welfare and survival. And so a trust means that one entity or person manages a certain wealth, an endowment, so to speak, for the benefit of others. And in the case of the public trust, the beneficiaries are the present and future generations of citizens. So it is a statement of, in essence, public property rights that have been known since Roman times. In fact, this was articulated by the Chief Justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in a landmark public trust decision last year. And the the decision basically overturned a statute that the Pennsylvania legislature had passed to promote fracking. And the Chief Justice of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, Chief Justice Castile, said this violates the public trust. And he began his opinion by saying that citizens hold inalienable environmental rights to assure the habitability of their communities. And that these are ensconced in the social contract that citizens make with government. They cannot be, um, they cannot be alienated. They are inherent and reserved. So they are of a constitutional nature. And the point of the public trust is that the citizens hold these constitutional rights in an enduring natural endowment that is supposed to support all future generations of citizens in this country. It is so basic to democracy. In fact, the late Joseph Sachs said, um, the trust distinguishes a society of citizens from serfs. This is a political question. I mean, it, 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 it's a question that traditionally... Uh, legislators elected by voters would resolve, but you are taking it to court. Well, it is a political question for the legislatures to respond to. The fact is they're not. And if this nation relies on a stable climate system and the very habitability of this nation and all of the liberties of young people and their survival interests are at stake, Uh, the courts need to force the agencies and the legislatures to simply do their job. But haven't most of the lower courts dismissed these suits on procedural grounds that dealing with climate is, quote, indeed a political question that the courts must avoid? Well, it's interesting. This is very new litigation. These cases were all filed by the group Our Children's Trust in 2011. And so the the initial ones 
um, really set some important principles in place. Number one, the courts seem to realize that the public trust is an area of law that the legislatures and, and agencies must abide by, that the, the young people of this country have public trust rights. They're recognizing air and atmosphere, most of them, as a public trust resource, either implicitly or explicitly. Mm. They're increasingly recognizing the urgency of climate change. And the latest cases have even dismissed the political question doctrine as a defense. They've been saying, you do have to deal with this. It's not, this is a public trust right. It's not just mm. a matter for the other branches of government. You have to figure out the nature of the right and give relief if you find there is a justiciable right there. And as the petitions get denied, which they will by the administrative agencies, we all know that, that will be no surprise, the youth and their lawyers are then preparing judicial challenges in those states. And so really the message for judges out there that get these cases, I think, is this is not an environmental case. Not an environmental case? No. What is it? Climate is not just an environmental issue. This is a civilizational issue. This is the biggest case that courts will get in terms of mm. the potential harm in front of them, the population affected by that harm, and in terms of the urgency. Climate is mind-blowing. It can't be categorized any longer as an environmental issue. And yet we are about to have a Congress controlled by a party, the Republican Party, that boasts of denying climate change brought on by human behavior. Do you expect anything positive coming out of the political process to reinforce your efforts over the next few years? I absolutely do, but not at the federal congressional level. I do at the local level. And so the federal Congress has essentially been purchased through millions and millions of dollars of campaign contributions. The whole purpose of the public trust is to prevent one branch of government from precisely that type of corruption. It holds that these legislators are trustees with constitutional obligations to the citizens. So just, just to put it out there, the public trust is designed for precisely the situation we have today. Now, whether or not I expect political reinforcement, I would say absolutely at the local level. These cases are finding reinforcement at the local level. In fact, in Eugene, Oregon, our Children's Trust organized a group of youth and they went before city council month after month after month and testified asking the city council to really take action on climate and to make uh, Eugene, Oregon a carbon neutral place. And after month after month after month, when the city councilors looked those children in the eyes and saw what I describe as just the moral authority of these youth, they passed the most aggressive climate ordinance in the country. And I think that is the power of the youth. The youth have to now step up, come before their legislators, pack the courtrooms in these atmospheric trust cases, meet with the agency people. The youth have to come forward because they have no money, they have no voting rights. 
but they have got something that no one else has, and that is the moral authority. That is the future. And, and the obligations we naturally feel towards our own children, towards children we love, they all come to the surface when we, can, when we actually speak to youth about the future they face. Excuse me for being tedious on this, but as you probably know, there is so much pressure now on many state Supreme Courts from judicial elections that are deeply influenced by, since Citizens United in particular, with huge rivers of money overflowing in every election. Well, so what you're doing is presenting a political reality. And you're absolutely right. There's no arguing with that at all. But I'm a lawyer. The task ahead is to figure out where the pressure points may lie in the legal system that we have today. It would be great if we had democracy thriving. We would not have a climate problem if that were the case. And so when you structure a legal response to a problem as grave as climate change, you don't have false hope that a branch that is co-opted will act. You have some hope that some courts in some states that are less politicized will act and that those states will set a precedent or a domino effect and certainly will change the economic equation in those states. It's not perfect. Again, we have the structure we have. We have only three branches. Um, we go back to fifth grade civics and we find we have to work with the constitutional structure here. And so you just try to find um, the mechanisms to make progress and to use litigation also as a tool for refining the issue in the Americans' minds because the court of public opinion is ever so important to this climate crisis right now. So as this old year ends and the new year begins, you're not the pessimist I thought you might be faced against the legal and administrative and executive system that you're up against. If we love our children and nieces and nephews and grandchildren, we cannot be pessimistic. We have to do everything possible at this moment in time. And we have to forge ahead with courage and optimism. And ultimately, we have to be guided by the moral principles that were responsible for the founding of this nation. So no, I'm not a pessimist. The book is Nature's Trust, Environmental Law for a New Ecological Age. Mary Christina Wood, thank you very much for being with me. Thank you so much. Mary Christina Wood reminds us that democracy, too, is a public trust, a reciprocal agreement between generations to keep it in good repair and pass it along. Our country's DNA carries an inherent promise for every citizen of an equal opportunity at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our history resonates with the hallowed idea, hallowed by blood, of government of, by, and for the people. Our great Progressive struggles have been waged to make sure ordinary citizens, and not just the rich and privileged, share in the benefits of a free society. In the words of Louis Brandeis, one of the greatest of our Supreme Court justices, 
We may have democracy or we may have wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, but we can't have both. Yet look at just a few recent headlines. This one from the New York Times. U.S. wealth gap is widest in decades. From the website Alternet, just 40 Americans own as much wealth as half the United States. From Slate.com, the great wealth meltdown. Middle class families are worth less today than in 1969. And from The Economist, wealth without workers, workers without wealth, pointing to the reality that for all but an elite few, work no longer guarantees a rising income. So as the next generation steps forward, I'm tempted to think that the only thing my generation can say to them is, we're sorry. Sorry for the mess you're inheriting. Sorry we broke the trust. But I know in my heart that's not what they ask or expect. So instead, I recommend to them the example of Senator Robert La Follette of Wisconsin, another of my heroes from the past. He battled the excesses of the first Gilded Age a century ago so boldly and proudly that he went down in history as Fighting Bob. He told us, democracy is a life and involves continual struggle. I keep asking myself, what if that struggle is the palpable reality without which this world would be truly barren? So to this new generation, I say, over to you, welcome to the fight. And to all of you who've been loyal to these broadcasts and to my colleagues who produced them and our funders who kept on giving despite my foibles and flaws, I say thank you. The series ends, but not our website, BillMoyers.com. I'll see you there, and I'll see you around. Moyers & Company is produced by Public Affairs Television. You can learn more about the team that collaborates to produce the series at BillMoyers.com. Funding is provided by Ann Gumowitz, encouraging the renewal of democracy. Carnegie Corporation of New York, supporting innovations in education, democratic engagement, and the advancement of international peace and security at Carnegie.org. The Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide. The Herb Alpert Foundation, supporting organizations whose mission is to promote compassion and creativity in our society. The John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information at macfound.org. Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The Kohlberg Foundation, Barbara G. Fleischman. And by our sole corporate sponsor, Mutual of America, designing customized individual and group retirement products. That's why we're your retirement company.